welcome into episode 80 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. And Doug, even though Canucks aren't playing right now, we have a, a lot of stuff to go over. We have we have no guests this week, and we're also recording at a different time than usual, just for various reasons in Canada days and long weekends. Uh, also, the heat. Uh, I know I've been complaining the last couple episodes about, you know, the time we normally record and how odd it is in my apartment. Uh, this past week or so, it's been ungodly the the heat we've had in this city yeah it's been it's been unreal so just people know we're recording at 11 a.m saturday morning july 3rd recording in between the two euro games here so if uh, we start speeding things up towards the end doug it's because i'm going to be anxious to get over and watch england but uh yeah just the way things work we're kind of you know we we just make our own rules here we just kind of record when we're ready and when there's enough news and we felt that Hey, there's enough stuff around the league right now to talk about, so we're going to be getting into a lot of things later in the episode. Yeah, we're starting to see some moves uh, in the NHL. There was a couple of trades and a couple of signings these past couple of uh, this past week or so. Uh, that'll be interesting, and uh, yeah, uh, like you said, Pete, we got quite a bit to talk about this episode. I've also got something to say. The, I added a little kitty cat to the family here over at Olympic Village. Uh, yeah, so uh, my fiance Grace and I uh, picked up a cat. Uh, we named it's a gray tabby. We named him Ash. So yeah, that's what's new in my life. And then the other thing I've been doing quite a bit, Pete, is I've really been getting into the cold brew. I've uh, been doing some cold brew myself. Um, I'm still trying to hone in the technique to yield the perfect cold brew. Um, I think I've got the technique down now. I've got my third kind of carafe of cold brew brewing at the moment i've already had one full uh french press worth of cold brew and this third one i've got in the fridge i think this is probably going to be the best technique moving forward but yeah man cold brew on a hot weekend morning nothing's better than that i'm i'm quite keen to try that at some point i like the cold brew you know who does a a a good cold brew one of the things i've been doing the last little while is is biking around and and checking out all the little neighborhood cafes uh the mighty oak up on 18th there and on i guess it's near 18th in ontario and they've got a great cold brew uh over there good cookies as well that's become a a bike ride pit pit stop for me I haven't uh, hit up that place yet. The Mighty Yoke, it's called. Mighty Oak, not Yoke. Oak. Oh, okay. I'll yeah, I'll definitely check it out. The Mighty Oak. Yeah, I got breakfast a, on the mind. That's why I thought Yoke. Well, it's that's that's one of the side effects which comes with recording uh, at eleven a.m. on a, on a Saturday. I'm I'm gonna have to go out there and get a second breakfast. Um, I, I saw a picture of your cat. That's very nice. So it's good to have yet another distraction while we're trying to record. So I look forward to, to that occurring. Um, the only thing uh, on my end, I don't have any animals here, but my garden with all this heat has just gone absolutely nuts. Like this is my tomato plants are, are crazy. They're they're already getting close to eye level right now, and they're they're flowering. But I'm gonna have an insane tomato crop. I built a planter this year for the first time, so they things can grow more i've got a few other things going in there zucchini and and peppers and things but man my tomatoes are going absolutely nuts right now it's it's going to be a lot of fun to to see how that goes so that's one of the good things from the heat one of the bad things from all all the heat of course is what's happened in Lytton. and uh you know special thoughts to the people there and people across the province right now like we're on the coast so we're never really at a complete risk of forest fires we get the smokes here on the coast but uh man you know 
that Litton story, breaking heat three days in a row, breaking the records, and then it burns to the ground. Like, there's a lesson there for all of us, and especially when you go on Twitter yesterday and you see now the ocean's on fire. I mean, it, it, global warming's a real thing, and we're definitely learning from this here in the province. Yeah, I mean, thoughts and prayers to anyone who lost their lives, their homes, and their livelihoods living in Lytton. And across the province, um, there's forest fires, I know, in Castlegar at the moment. There is a few emergency evacuations happening there. It's that time Kamloops. of year, unfortunately. Kamloops, yeah. It's yeah. that time of year, unfortunately, where forest fires become very prevalent in the beautiful province of British Columbia. Uh, it sounds like most of the people in Lytton have lost their their like I said, their homes and their livelihood. Ninety percent of the town has burnt to burnt down. I'm sure there'll be some aid uh, from the federal government and the provincial government, and let's hope we can uh, rebuild that tiny little town sooner rather than later. And I mean, yeah, you mentioned forest fire season, but really, this is early for it. So uh, I mean, there were people setting off fireworks on, and again, here it's different on Canada Day, but I heard in other parts of the province, people doing fireworks. I mean, we had uh, over seven hundred thousand lightning strikes uh, happening there. I mean, we just we have to be careful right now. It's going to be uh, summer without campfires. That is all but assured. So if you're going out and you need a fire, bring a bring a gas one with you. But please, folks. Be careful. The only other news on my end, I got my second dose yesterday, and this is kind of a cool story because I wanted, I wanted to share it. I got it. I was supposed to get it today. Uh, I got it a day early. So I was uh, out for my run in Stanley Park, and I was running in the afternoon, which I don't normally do, but just kind of the way things lined up yesterday. And coming back, crossing uh, the rec center at Denman there and just walking up Harrow Street, and uh, there's a lady outside. There's a vaccine clinic right there, and the lady is just like, hey, have you had your, your vaccine yet? I was like, no. Do you want it? Sure. And and what's cool is I had no ID with me. I had uh, I had I was sweaty as and they were just like, yeah, come in, come in, get it. I, I guess they had vaccines they wanted to use up and they just they were just all so nice. I'm in there like like I said, sweaty mess, no ID. They just okay. everyone was great. Um, they got me all sorted. I was the last one of six hundred and twenty three vaccinations for the day. But I am team double dose now. And that feels pretty good. Yeah, Grace and I got our second dose last Saturday, actually, so it'd be a week ago today. Uh, I have to admit, the second dose, even though they said it was, uh, I had two doses of Pfizer, they said that the second dose, you would have more side effects. I honestly felt like my arm hurt worse after the first dose, and I, I mean, maybe it was the heat, and so I wasn't... <laughs> I was distracted by how hot I was, but I didn't feel any of the real negative side effects that they were saying you could or possibly would have with after your second dose. Yeah, my, I got a sore arm today, but otherwise I, I feel pretty good. So I'm going to go for a bike ride after we record and after the England game and, and see how I do. But yeah, sore arm. That's about it. So a few things coming up today. We do have a little bit of Canucks talk, but I do admit this episode is going to be more uh, about stuff going on around the NHL. There is a lot of stuff going on around the NHL. Things are pretty quiet on the Canucks front, uh, but we will have a, a little bit of stuff to talk about in there. You can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore gas and the podcast is at Canucks speak. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And Pete and I continue to grow this ever-growing outro playlist on Spotify. It's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist, and we'll be adding another funky jam to that list at the end of this episode. I hope we don't get sued. This one, I've already got, I'm editing this episode, and I've already kind of got in my head what song I want to use. And I know this family has been very 
I mean, again, we're, we're not monetized. We're not making any money off these episodes, so I don't think there's any risk for us to get in trouble. But I know this family is, uh, they're very protective of the legacy of the person who wrote the song that I am going to be using at the end of this episode. All right. It's going to be a Metallica outro from the sounds of it. Um, <laughs> well, let's start things off with um, with what, of course, is, is the big story in hockey right now, which is the Stanley Cup Finals. And uh, we are at the point here. Uh, I guess there's no game till Monday. So when this it gets released, it'll still be three nothing series lead for Tampa Bay. Um, Doug, I just wanted to ask you right off the bat, like, what have you thought of this series? I know it's 3 nothing Tampa. I, I think Montreal hit game two in particular. They they were actually probably the better team, but I mean, Tampa to me, they they just, they, they're they beasts out there. They, they are that other level. And it, it also gives me a lot of respect for what, the fight that the Islanders put up. I mean, the Habs are putting up a fight, but at the end of the day, you have this amazing Tampa blue line. You have these four lines that they can roll, and then they have the best goalie in the world, in my opinion, back there behind it all. Yeah, and I think the last point you made with the goaltending, right? That's the thing, is game two, Montreal, I agree with you, was probably the better team, but Tampa still had Vasilevsky between the pipes, and Carey Price has been good, but Vasilevsky's that kind of goalie where he can steal a game, a game that your team in front of you isn't playing well and you should probably lose Vasilevsky's that good where he can steal that game for you and that's why one of the reasons why I think Tampa's up three nothing in the series I think yeah that's the problem they're so well balanced they have a great decor they have the four lines like you said I mean didn't they get two goals out of uh what's Tyler Johnson Tyler Johnson who a lot of people think will end up in Seattle he is actually from the, the Seattle area in the expansion draft uh, and then you've got a goalie like Vasilevsky, who is definitely the best goalie in the world. And if the offense isn't clicking, well, then you still have to get past Vasilevsky. And that's why I think Tampa is so good. I mean, I don't really know what their contract situation is heading into the offseason and how many UFAs they'll be losing. I mean, I think it's safe to say that Tyler Johnson will be gone, so that should clear up some space for them. I believe Saranac is an RFA at the end of this year, so they'll have to try to find money to re-sign him. But, I mean, when you look at the core of this team, I mean, they could be competing for another Stanley Cup next year. They really could. Well, do remember that uh, they do have to shed salary because of how far over the cap they are now with, uh, with activating Kucherov, among other things. So, I mean... They're, they're going to likely expose Tyler Johnson. You're right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that Seattle's just going to be like, hey, we're going we're gonna to yank him. I, I, I could see Seattle saying, hey, we'll take him. But we're also going to want a, a little bit of something, something from you as well. Like Tampa as well. They have one pick in the first four rounds in this upcoming draft. They got a few later picks. The year after that, they don't have a second and a third. So, I mean, they're, they, they are depleting their resources. But, I mean, yeah, to get back-to-back cups who cares right it's but they will have to shed salary some notable ufas of course david savard who they they picked up he's ufa blake coleman and barkley goodrow are both ufas so they are going to lose a couple of pieces uh they're not going to be able to resign any of those guys but and then maybe if they lose tyler johnson but the thing is is that the core of that team is intact and on pretty decent salary caps like victor hedman making just below eight Ryan McDonough making just below seven. That one may not age as well. That's going through to 2026. But like Braden Point is this is what the second best forward on this team, and he's making 6.75. They are deep, and this team 
is built really, really well. And again, this is a lot of Steve Eiserman's work uh, with the team before he left for Detroit. But man, they are they're a set of guys like Yanni Gorda and Anthony Sorelli are playing well. But yeah, they do have a lot of guys making north of $4 million, which gets real tricky. And uh, I'm curious to see what they'll do in the offseason. But for now, this team may be the best team we've seen in a decade. Yeah, I agree. Uh, going back to Braden Point, he did sign that bridge deal. I think it's a three-year, six or seven million bridge deal. So he is going to get paid. I believe he signed the bridge deal last year. He's so got there's one sh- more year. He's got one more yeah. year. He's RFA after uh, this year, uh, after this. Sorry, this coming season. Um, so in, in the 2022 off season. So you got to think that Tampa wants to position themselves to be able to offer him another contract which they will, obviously. They'll move heaven and earth to be able to get him under contract again. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they even though, look, I wouldn't have an issue with them being over the cap. I mean, it is within the rules. Technically, my issue is the fact that the Canucks got dinged with the Luongo cap recapture penalty after the fact. That was circumventing the cap, but this isn't. That's where I think most Canuck fans are a little bit, you know, shitty about the situation but you know what kudos to tampa man they the majority of their team are players they have drafted and developed themselves and i think that says something and that's where you see them and like i I look at pittsburgh when they were winning those back-to-back cups a few years ago the majority of that team were guys that they drafted and developed themselves and that's generally the way you win championships now in the nhl gone are the days when the rangers who actually never really won any cups doing this anyways but they would just spend you know 10 $15 $15 million more than the next team and ice what on paper looked like the best team, but more often than not, they couldn't actually get over the hump to win the Stanley Cup. And a guy like Mikhail Sergachev was a guy that they flipped a high pick of theirs into to be a more useful player. They, they, they've won that trade, and ironically, that's the team that they're playing right now. Uh, just going back to Eric Cernak, he did sign that extension, so he is uh, he's locked up for a couple of years as well, which is unfortunate because that was a guy I wanted the, the Canucks to, to go out and get, but uh, I don't think he's going anywhere. But again, that's future problems for, for the Lightning. Right now, they're all in. They're going to they're gonna likely win the Cup. I can't see them losing four in a row right now um i don't want to jinx it for them or anything but uh it they're 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 gonna have some decisions to make down the road alex Kalorn is a guy that i'm sure they'd like to move out at some point he's a very useful player but he's making quite a bit uh as well and it, it will get tricky uh, andre plot is another guy who's ufa i forgot about um as well he's another guy who'll likely be gone so they will lose pieces but they won't lose the core and, and you go back to like pittsburgh and that's a team that's done that really well with bringing guys around Crosby and Malkin on the wings uh, consistently year after year that, that can play in those situations. And, uh, you, um, you know, what's what's uh, his name? Um, oh, Gensel, Gensel and uh, Rust. Uh, those are two guys I was thinking of. Gensel and Rust uh, are two guys that uh, that really that they've brought in and developed. And there's, there's been a bit of a steady flow with that. And then Pittsburgh sometimes moves guys out when their value is high because of, of, of doing that as well. So, um yeah, good. Good on those are those are teams that you know you got to get a bit of luck to draft at the top of the draft, and I know that's where Stamkos and Hedman came from, but not all their talent came from there. Uh, you got to be good in other rounds as well. Well, I mean, you got Braden Point in the third round. Kucherov was a mid first rounder, wasn't he? Uh, I mean, right there. I mean, that's yeah, and Vasilevsky two thirds of the core. Yeah, and Vasilevsky, right? and Vasilevsky was a late one. Yeah, a late first. Yeah. Um, so they've they've done a great job with that. Um, it, they're a fun team to watch. Uh, Montreal. Uh, again, Price wasn't at his best, I thought, in Game 3. Um, game 2, maybe to a lesser extent as well. 
Um, but he's, he, I mean, Montreal's played fantastic, but this is just a different beast. And it also, when you haven't seen a team all season, and I guess you could say this about Vegas as well, but Vegas is more of a one-line team. I, I, don't, I don't think people really think that enough, but Vegas really has become a bit of a one-line team. I mean, that line where, you know, the William Carlson effect, that's not really happening with them as much tampa bay just keeps coming at you wave after wave and then once they get the lead they come out and hit you they, they adapt their game throughout there so they'll come out they'll get a lead and then it's like okay we're just not letting people in and if we're going to drive people to the outside and we're going to hit them and their blue line is big and their blue line is made for that uh they're a fun team to watch and they're scary um you know i'd like to see montreal get a win in for the fans there but uh, i don't see this series going past five at the moment yeah, I mean, I think Montreal is trying their best. I think one of the things that I've kind of noticed with Montreal in the first three games of this series is they're playing not to lose as opposed to trying to play to win. And I think it's it's almost like that prevent defense in football, right? Where they're, they're trying to have good, solid defensive structure, which they've done relatively well. Um, but Tampa just comes at you wave after wave after wave. And the other thing that happens is you're scrambling around the ice trying to stop the, the pressure. You take a penalty. And then when you put Tampa Bay on the power play, more often than not, you're going to pay the price. And that's the other thing too. Right when you think you've finally kind of like eased some of the pressure, now you take a penalty and they're going right back to work, you know, pinning you in your own end and potentially putting the puck in the back of the net. I do think... Overall, Montreal's played well. But again, you're seeing some of these guys, like Toffoli, I believe, hasn't scored in six games. Caulfield's gone cold all of a sudden. Suzuki's still playing well. I'd, I'd say, honestly, Suzuki and Philip Deneau have probably been the two best forwards in this series for Montreal, in my opinion. Gallagher, I know he was getting into some of the rough stuff in game one, but he really, I think Gallagher's only got like three or four points this entire playoff. He's, you know, he's doing Brendan Gallagher things behind the scenes but he's not producing points and I think that's a bit of a concern for the Montreal Canadiens as well and this happens I mean we saw it with the Sedins in the Boston series where they kind of got shut down and who knows what players are injured I mean guys could be playing with injuries at the moment as well but injuries happen to every team I mean Kucherov at the end of that Islander series a lot of people didn't think he was going to be available for the first couple of games of this series and he was able to play and he's still producing but yeah I think when you look at some of the core forwards for Montreal not producing and getting cold at the wrong time that's one of the reasons why they find themselves down three nothing yeah injuries are, are certainly a factor I mean I think Toffoli hasn't scored in seven now which is uh you know okay. I'm sure a lot, I, that's another one as well and uh, um I also just wanted to quickly mention playoff experience because I, I, again Montreal good young team but a lot of the guys this is they're learning as they go which is which is fine and that's going to help them in the long run but you're going up against a Tampa team now I mean I don't have this stat in front of me I'm, I'm going off a of memory with this one so uh I I'll probably get it wrong. But since 2015, Tampa Bay has played 27 more playoff games than the next closest team. And that next closest team isn't Montreal. We know that. So the amount of experience, and and Tampa, I think, has also had a tougher road to to get to this point uh, as well. They've had tougher opponents along the way. They're, They're just, they're more experienced. And that's something that you, you can't, shake you know if Tampa gets down or if they they get behind or they just keep going out there playing their game doing their thing and um I I just think that and and doing it under the same coach as well uh throughout this they they've got a system so I I don't think enough can be said about the experience of the lightning as well 
Yeah, John Cooper, that's a good point. I think he's actually, I don't know if he's underrated, but I don't think he gets talked about enough about how good of a coach he actually is. He's a he's a Prince George guy. I believe he's a lawyer by trade. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I really like John Cooper. I think he's a very candid interview and he's very honest. He seems like him and the players respect him and there's that kind of good give and take between coach and player, which you need. Yeah, Cooper, man, like, is he underrated? I don't know. Like, I mean, he's in theory about to go back-to-back Stanley Cup champion, but I don't feel like we talk about him as like that upper echelon of coach in the NHL. Well, and he finished eighth in Jack Adams. And I mean, yeah, okay, Brendan Moore getting the Jack Adams this year. I, I, I'm okay with that. But this is a good way to talk about the uh, the NHL awards that were also uh, released this week. And I've long had issues with the NHL awards. And, and surprise, surprise, I have issues with the awards this year. I don't have an issue with Brendan Moore winning the Adams. But going back to Vasilevsky, I do have issues with Vasilevsky not winning the Vesna. In my opinion, he was the best goalie in the league this year. And I think a lot of people would agree with that. And I, I, I think Fleury, maybe you get to that point where it's just like, oh, it's it's this guy again. Let's let's give him the award finally just so he has it on his resume. But to then have him as a second-team All-Star when Vasilevsky's a first-team All-Star, uh, that's just that's weird. Like, how do you have a guy win the Vesna Trophy but then not be on the first All-Star team? Well, it almost feels like it was almost like a most improved player or a comeback player was also kind of aligned with Flurry getting the Vesna this year because last year it looked like Robin Leonard had taken the crease over from Flurry, which he did. It didn't look like he did. And there was a lot of rumors and a lot of speculation that Flurry was going to be out of Vegas. Come back to this year, it was a battle all year between Leonard and Flurry for the crease, and Flurry was the better goalie overall and he had a very good season I don't think I think it's I don't think you or anyone else who feels that Vasilevsky was robbed is trying to take away from the fact that Fleury had a remarkable season at his age coming off of the season he did last year and how it looked like you know maybe Fleury was done in the NHL or at least he was going to find himself on another team I think that whole feel-good story about Fleury was one of the reasons why I think a lot of voters voted for him but I agree with you. I do think Vasilevsky was the better goalie this year. If you're going by pure best goalie in the league this year, it was, in my opinion, definitely Vasilevsky. And Flurry got 14 of the first place votes. Vasilevsky got 12. It was a close race, and Grubauer was a distant third. But this is a very NHL thing to do. Uh, a couple other issues I had on the All-Star teams. Now, the, these are... One of these, I think, is... Well, maybe both of these. I, I, I don't know. Like, so... The second leading scorer in the NHL, Leon Dreisaddle, isn't on either one of the All-Star teams. And and I know that it's Austin Matthews who gets in there. And I know Austin Matthews won the Richard. So there is that. But, I mean, he was so far ahead of other players. And to, to get the snub, I mean, like, like Dreisaddle had 84 points. And Matthews had 66 points. And I know maybe they don't want to overpopulate with Oilers, but there are two Leafs on there. And I think Mitch Marner is deserving to be in there despite the playoffs he had. But it's 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 weird that to me that it's not dry saddle. Um, and again, Nathan McKinnon gets a snub. And again, of course, there's only so many centers you can have on the All-Star teams. But uh, that's, that's another issue I had with uh, the NHL awards. 
Uh, what did you think of the Norris Trophy? Did you? Th- I know that a lot of people were talking about Adam Fox, and they didn't think he should have won the Norris Trophy, or they. I know a few eyebrows were raised. A lot of people were saying Kale McCarr probably should have won the Norris this year. Uh, did you have an opinion on that, or any thoughts about that? I thought Fox was great. Great. Obviously, I didn't get to watch a ton of Rangers games this year, but by all accounts, I mean I also had Fox on my fantasy team, and <laughs> he was producing points every other night. But uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Well, Fox uh, benefits from a couple of things. He benefits from playing in New York, first of all, which is, which is always going to lift your profile. And it was a pretty close vote with 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 Kale McCarr. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing, and I guess McCarr has this too as well, is Fox is an offensive defenseman. And, you know, you talked about most improved or comeback player awards. I, I think those would be great awards for the NHL to have. And then Fleury would certainly, I think, get a, a comeback player award. And then you don't have to give him the Vesna. But Adam Fox was second in the league in defenseman scoring, one point behind Tyson Berry, who also was left off the All-Star teams. But I I, I think that was okay because uh, he is purely an offensive defenseman. Fox did play one less game than Tyson Berry as well. So I think he's got those two things going for him. I mean, uh, you don't want to give all the trophies to Tampa. Victor Hedman made a, a pretty strong case to be in that mix as well. And Kale McCarr, I, I think it was, it was very close this year, but Adam Fox being in New York and also... With his offensive production, it, it makes it pretty tough. One thing that I found really interesting, uh, you look at the four all-star defensemen, Dougie Hamilton and Adam Fox were in the four there, and they were both involved in the same trade from Calgary to Carolina. And I know that was, you know, I think Calgary did pretty well out of that trade. But if you look at it just on paper, two guys who are in the Norris running, two guys who are in the, on the first and second team all-stars going to Carolina. If that was Vancouver, this market would go absolutely nuts. But and again, I'm not saying Calgary did terribly in that deal, but if that was here, I think fans would lose their mind. Well, and that's the other thing and look, you know, Adam Fox is a great player, but he forced his way out of Calgary and then after they traded him to Carolina, he forced his way out of Carolina. Um he went the whole uh I guess it's 4 years in the NCAA and became a UFA and uh, I believe Carolina traded his rights to the Rangers before then. But anyways, he was going to force his way out of Carolina, just like he was going to force his way out of Calgary. So even though, yeah, Hamilton and Fox were in that same deal, Calgary's hands were tied. And I thought, I actually think they did pretty well as far as the return they got in that deal. Uh, Lindholm has been pretty good for Calgary. Um, what's the defenseman's name? It's Hannafin. not Hayden Flirty. Hannafin, Hannafin's, I don't know. I still think the jury's out on Hannafin. He's been serviceable. Um, but, you know, I've always hated players. Like, I never like Eric Lindros because of that because he refused to play for Quebec. Always hated Lindros. That trade essentially helped Quebec, who later on became Colorado, win the Stanley Cup because Peter Forsberg was in that deal, as was Mike Ricci, I believe, who was a hell of a third-line uh, player, you know, greasy guy who... Ron Hextel was in there, Kerry Hoffman, yeah. some draft picks. It was There was a lot going that way. Yeah, um, but I've always hated players that refuse to to play for the teams that they were drafted for. I don't like that Fox did that. I um, thankfully it hasn't happened with the Canucks. I know there was a lot of speculation that you know Demko could go back for four years, Lockwood, Brock Besser, and thankfully Touchwood. No NCAA draft player from the Canucks has has made, done that to them. 
Yeah, and otherwise, I think the awards were uh, were pretty bang on. I mean, you got to give uh, Hart and the Lindsay to McDavid. I don't think anyone can argue that. Uh, the Calder going to Kaprizov, which will be interesting to see what happens with him because he may not be coming back this year. And Barkov getting the Selkie, very deserving. Lamorello getting the GM. I don't like Lamorello, but what he's done with the Islanders is truly amazing. Uh, and then Jacob Slavin, a defenseman getting the Lady Bing. That's a that's a bit of an interesting one to me, but it's nice to see the guy get some respect. That is rare for a defenseman to to win that award, though. Yeah, didn't Brian Leach win the Lady Bing one year? I believe. I think, I think so. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. Like it's very rare that a defenseman would get the Lady Bing. You generally don't think of defensemen. Uh, being in contention for the Lady Bing. But yeah, uh, I think Carolina's got one of the more underrated decors in the entire league. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see if they can get the money to sign Dougie Hamilton. I don't think they will be able to. But yeah, it should be an interesting offseason for Carolina. Okay, so Brian Leach did not win it, but I think he was a nominee one year. Uh, it was Brian Campbell was actually the, the last defenseman to win it in 2012 with the Florida Panthers. He won it, but oh, okay. I'm just kind of scrolling through the list here. And I don't see defensemen uh, otherwise, at least anytime recently. It's a, it's a long list of forwards, so he may be only the second defenseman to ever win it, at least certainly in the expansion post-original six era. Um, so... Anyways, um, had my little vents with the uh, the awards. I, I always think the NHL is a little bit kooky and weird with how they uh, how they do their awards, uh, and they just I don't know. They they, they need to kind of up the game a little bit with it. Uh, I know this year is a little bit different, but uh, we'll see where they go with that. Um, and something that may help with all that as well is the increased coverage on TV in the States that's coming next year. And ESPN released their full broadcast team. We know Gretzky is also going to be involved with the TNT package. What do you think of the list of coverage for the ESPN team? Oh, I I didn't look at it too much. I did see Mark Messier's name out there as well being brought in. So I'm kind of like, meh. Uh, I like the fact that they're really trying to sell hockey to the U.S. market and they're doing it in unconventional ways i don't know if you've seen like the stephen a smith uh shots or whatever uh, videos of him you know talking about hockey there was one he did recently where he had pk suban on with him as well i do like it it seems a little hokey at first but i think you know when you're really trying to kind of get that market and get more eyeballs on the sport i think you're going to try anything and i like the fact that stephen a smith who i'm not the biggest fan of but i like the fact that he's not trying to pretend like he knows a ton about hockey. He might be playing, I don't know anything about hockey too much, but I do like the fact that he's going in as like an uneducated fan who's trying to learn about the game and is trying to learn about the players. So I do like that. And I do think that can make a lot of casual hockey fans be more inclined to get into the sport because I think that's the thing with a lot of sports that people don't love is there this intimidation factor about well I don't want to look like an idiot and you know what I mean it's just like hey man just watch the game enjoy the game the amount of fans I've seen in the U.S. pop up on Twitter they'll be like holy shit man watching playoff hockey dude why haven't I watched playoff hockey before this is amazing and then you know they become hockey fans and I think uh Yeah, like I think ESPN getting the broadcast rights back for the NHL is going to be huge. And hopefully with the expansion into Seattle, it'll help further grow the game in the U.S. market. 
I think they've done a really good job. I think there's a few misses out there, but there's certainly people who are going to like it. I like that they're doing a Spanish commentary as well. I can see that being really big in the States and akin to what we do here with the the Punjabi commentary. I'm not a fan of the Messier or the Chelios or the Melrose, but they're they're colorful characters. Uh, It's good to see Ray Ferraro and Cassie Campbell jumping over and doing some stuff down there as well. I really like that they brought in a few people, especially Kevin Weeks, Greg Wyshynski, and Emily Kaplan. I think those are some really good people to bring on board. And then a couple of ex-players who I haven't really seen do a lot of stuff in Rick DiPietro and Ryan Callahan. And a lot of ex-women players as well from uh, from the U.S. team is going to be involved. I know Hillary Knight is involved uh, right off the top of my head. That's one that I know is there. Uh, so I think it's I think it's a very interesting, good team. And again, just getting rid of the NBC presence, I'm, I'm pretty excited for that. Uh, the only thing in, in Canucks news that's happening really this week or so it seems well I guess there's two things where we're going to eventually find out here about the the Abbotsford team name and I don't you know, think there's too much to talk about with that there's a lot of rumblings that it's the Canucks which I think would be kind of cool if, if they used an old jersey for that I think that's a good way to market that and then the other thing the, the the main thing that everyone's talking about right now is all these Nate Schmidt rumors and I haven't actually heard it from Nate Schmidt's mouth so I, I, I don't necessarily believe it but I, I'm also not against the Canucks trading Nate Schmidt I mean you got a guy who is a, a left left shooting D who plays the right side, and he's on a five point nine million dollar cap hit. It, it was worth taking the gamble on him for a third round pick, but you can also recoup that pick and then use that salary for something else. So, if if you're the Canucks right now, are you exploring a Nate? Let's just say that Schmidt hasn't said anything, but would you explore a Nate Schmidt trade regardless? Yeah, I think he's the one player that, with his term and his cap hit, you could trade get it tangible asset back and maybe disperse the essentially he's making five million dollars so let's just call it five million it's 5.9 let's call it six million or sorry six yeah sorry 5.9 not five point or 4.9 but you can essentially disperse that six million dollars to a couple different positions now the person that you could replace nate schmidt on the back end are they going to be as good as nate schmidt potentially not but if you can replace what Nate Schmidt brings to the team and fill two positions that you need to fill, let's say a third line center and a defenseman, I would explore it. I think he's the one guy on this team that definitely does have some sort of trade value. And four years, I mean, I I do worry about the last two years of this deal and how that's going to look. I also think he's a little bit older and I think he's at an age where he really wants to try to win a Stanley Cup. So maybe a return back to Washington is feasible. Uh, Maybe St. Louis is a team that you could look at. I don't know if a flip of Dunn for Schmidt one for one is something St. Louis would do just considering Dunn's age. But I do think Schmidt is a little bit older. He's got that more veteran presence. And I believe there was a bit of a falling out between uh, Barube and Dunn this year. Uh, Dunn's name's been on the trade market for a while. And then I also tweeted today about the Philadelphia Flyers who only have five defensemen under contract. So you would imagine that they would be looking to add a defenseman. I think Schmidt who does have a 10-team no-trade list. I think he would definitely go to Philly if that was a team that, you know, showed interest in him. I put out the name Scott Lawton, as in a guy that could fill your third-line center role. He's signed for the next five years at $3 million, and then you could use the other $2.95 million to sign a UFA defenseman for the right side. I don't know. I do think if you do trade Schmidt, though, the likelihood of bringing back Alex Edler is a lot higher. And I don't know if the Canucks are going to make a deal unless they know they can bring a guy like Edler back or Hamannick. Uh Yeah, I think that's a part of it. I mean, you, you have the chance there. Then 
without that, that all three of those guys wouldn't be on the team next year. And then what is the Canucks blue line going to look like? And, and uh, we've been saying for years how this blue line needs to get better. This blue line needs to get better. And there's not really any prospects in the system besides Rathbone who have kind of, I think a lot, most people have penciled in to, to make the team next year. After that, though, there's not really anyone else who's ready. So the pipeline is dry. It, it, there's a lot of questions and a lot of problems with the blue line. I, I like the Scott Lawton move. I think that would be a, a good person to bring in as as a third line center. Uh, I think the third line center, yeah, as much as I I want that, is is still priority number two to a right side D right now. And I I would certainly explore it. I don't. I mean, it, it's also there's a good chance that Schmidt comes back and and plays a lot better. I mean, it's it was a weird year last year. You're coming into a system with uh with a, with a crappy schedule where you don't really get to know the guys, where you don't really get to gel. I I wouldn't be against it, but I'd also be seeing, hey, if you can recoup a third round pick right now for an Schmidt, which is what it costs you, I'd, I'd actually be okay with that. Uh, and then you can use that money, like I said, for for other things and exploring uh, other ways. Maybe you could get two right side D uh, and bring them in. I mean, the Cernak deal, which we mentioned earlier, that was under three million per. And you know, if that's the market, well, maybe you can get someone else out there, uh, or maybe two bodies to come in. So, I I'm interested to see what happens there but i'm not you, you know i'm not gonna be angry if if they bring schmidt back but i'm also not gonna be sad if you trade him it just you know this fan base it can't even be a fourth round pick it's got to be at least a third round pick because otherwise people are gonna lose their minds yeah but i also think if you take into consideration if you are able to just trade schmidt flat out and not retain any salary you're pretty much giving yourself an extra $6 million in cap space. Um, and you can use that to fill a couple of different, plug a different hole, a couple of different holes on this team. I think the defense, the right side is definitely one that the Canucks definitely need to look at. Sammy Vatanen, I know he's not the same player he was when he was in Anaheim, but he's a right shot defenseman that I think could help this team in a maybe bottom pairing top four role. Uh, and then you can find a maybe you could find a third line center. Like I really like Alex Wenberg. I don't think he's gonna be available though. I do think Florida will resign him. I also think he's gonna get a decent raise compared to what he signed last year. Uh, but yeah, I I think be, he's the one tradable asset that I think the Canucks can figure out. Either they're gonna get an asset back or they're gonna relieve themselves of the cap space. I obviously it's not a good look if you're trading him and you're only getting giving getting a fourth round pick back when you gave up a third. That's going to look really really bad. But again, just to be able to recoup a third round pick, I would be okay with. I really really would um, by freeing up that cap space and be able to use those dollars in other places. The other thing is, you know, that also can give you a little bit more flexibility to go after one of these defensemen uh, on a team that has too many defensemen to protect. That's the other issue with trying to trade Nate Schmidt as well is you got to trade him to a team that doesn't have issues protecting defensemen heading into the expansion draft. You know, there's a lot of teams that would, oh yeah, Schmidt would love to go there. He'd look good in St. Louis or he'd look good in Washington. But, you know, what is what does their protective list look like? Yeah, there's there's going to be teams that I mean, Schmidt could also be a guy that you you think you can maybe expose, but you can't guarantee that. You're right, you do need to put him into a situation where a team believes he's an upgrade of what they're currently protecting. I mean, if if you were to trade him somewhere and let's say just bring back a pick, though, that you're right about money allocation. Like, let's say you brought in a couple of right D. Let's say you said Sammy Vatanen and Tucker Pullman, and let's say that comes to five million. So you're saving about a million bucks, and then all of a sudden you have two guys on the right side. 
there is that as well. There's the addition by subtraction. Um, and the, yeah, you're right. The other option is going and, and maybe getting a, a guy. You know, Matt Dumba's name is, is, is perennially out there. Um, maybe you get in on the Seth Jones thing as well out there. Um, I, I don't think that's likely. But, but speaking of Seth Jones, what do you think is going to be the outcome here? I mean, it, it's I, I, I can't see him coming back to Columbus. And his name just keeps popping up in rumors and rumors. I mean, he would be a great fit in Vancouver. I think the cost of acquisition is too high. Um, where do you see uh, Seth Jones' future? Right side D, 26 years old, one year left before UFA status, won't re-sign. I- Columbus has to move him, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, they could wait till maybe the deadline or wait till the offseason and trade his rights, but I think they'll get they'll be able to net the biggest return by trading him now. I put this out there already. I really think Jones ends up in Washington for Kuznetsov. Kuznetsov uh, is a center. Columbus definitely needs a first-line center, especially after trading uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois. And to me, Kuznetsov sounds like he's worn out his welcome in Washington. The money is going to be somewhat comparable by the time you resign Jones to an extension. It makes sense. I'm not saying it'll be one for one. I think there'll be other pieces to the puzzle, but I say Jones ends up in Washington in a Kuznetsov trade. Uh, I would love to see him in Vancouver. I know uh, some of the analytics numbers with uh, Seth Jones and how they're not great, but I do think where he's played the last couple of years and just you know how bad that team has been, uh, I, I do feel like Seth Jones is a guy that would help this team uh, moving forward, and regardless of what you think of him, he would automatically become your top pairing right side defenseman. Yeah, Seth Jones is the epitome of uh, a guy that the analytics community hates, but the eye test loves. He's uh, really interesting with that. One thing with Kuznetsov, he's three years older than Jones, and he is making more, so I wonder if there'd have to be a little bit plus going the other way as well. I can't believe Seth, uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov is 29 already. I'm not sure how that happened, but um, we are going to start seeing more players move, and we have seen one move uh, of note. We saw Victor Arvidsson go to L.A. for a couple picks. I know Philip Forsberg was quite unhappy with that. Arvidsson's a guy that I've always liked. I've taken him in my pools a couple times. So, you know, you know how you get those loves for guys uh, that sometimes just put up points for you. And Victor Arvidsson is certainly one of those guys over the years. And you talk about a team bringing him in who can work him into their protection list. L.A. certainly falls into that. They've uh, they've got room for him. A um, couple of picks for Arvidsson. Who do you think won this trade? Uh, anyone? Or do you think it's a good move for both sides? I actually think this is one of the trades that works out really well for both LA and Nashville. Nashville was going to lose Arvidsson in the expansion draft. So to be able to recoup a second and a third, I believe is what they got from LA. And you know, those second and third round picks, are they this year's picks or next year's? The the second is this year and the third is next year. Okay. So that second round pick is going to be near the top of the second round. So it almost could be considered a late first. Uh, I think it's great considering they were going to lose the guy for pretty much nothing heading into the expansion draft. He was going to be a guy that more than likely was going to be exposed and Seattle more than likely was going to take. So I think it was a tidy piece of business from David Poyle. And I think the LA Kings are getting a a, a player much alike to a, a Nils Hoglander. I've always thought Har- Arvidsson and Hoglander's game are a little bit similar. I do think Hoglander plays with a little bit more of an edge uh, than Arvidsson does. But, you know, they both are these kind of jitterbugs on the ice that 
have a pension for putting the goal or the puck in the back of the net. I believe there was one year, a couple of years ago, where Robertson scored like 34 goals in 58 games or something like that. If I if I'm correct, he, he had an, an incredible year. I was like three years ago or something like that. 58 games. You nailed it right there. 34 goals in 58 games uh, that one year, and that was the year. I, um, well, he's played with Forsberg a lot. Uh, those guys had great chemistry, so that's a guy I'll have to watch in the hockey pools as well. But yeah, 4.25 million for three more years with Arvidsson. I uh, play both wings. Uh, I think it's a good trade, and this also sets up Nashville quite interestingly for the expansion draft. I could see them now doing the eight-player route as opposed to the seven-three. Because they were one of those teams that had issues with the defensemen, but now they've, they're creating a scenario where they could go eight players and protect their four defensemen that they probably want to protect in in Yossi, Ellis, Ekholm, and Fabro. So I think this sets them up well to do that. They can protect four forwards in there. I mean, Deshane, Johansson, Forsberg. You may not even want to protect Deshane or in the, in all that, but. Uh, it gives them a lot more flexibility, I think. So I wouldn't be surprised if Nashville now, barring any further moves, decided to go with the eight-player protection as opposed to the the seven and three. Does Duchesne have a no-movement clause? Because Nashville might actually be forced to protect him. Because, yeah, I was actually looking at Cap Friendly earlier today, and I, I was looking at Nashville. I was like, holy cow, man. They got Duchesne at $8 million, Johansson at $8 million. I mean, both those guys are, have not been producing the last couple of years and it's no. just like it's not looking good man no i think you could expose Deshane quite easily he doesn't have that okay. the only guy who um does is roman yossi who fair enough uh, i don't think they're yep. gonna expose him anyways but yeah i mean Deshane is one of those guys if uh, right now if you're nashville you you can expose and i would if i was nashville i would 100 percent expose him i don't know if i'd expose johansson um i think there's more upside and he's a couple of years younger but i would certainly expose Deshane. so i think this gives them a lot more flexibility with what they want to do moving forward uh, as well and, and yeah you get that really high second and a third after that um it, it gives them a, a lot more options so i think a good trade for both teams one of those win-wins and uh let's see what other trades come on down the line we've also seen a couple of signings and and funnily enough almost exactly the same in uh ryan nugent hopkins and joel erickson eck similar players in a lot of ways it was an eight-year 41 million dollar for nuge and then an eight-year or yeah, eight year, forty-two million dollar for uh, Eric Sinek. I had to do my math there for a sec. Uh, it just kind of buggled out of me. But very similar deals. Um, it's interesting to see this guys signing, you know, kind of that more second tier uh, of players who are very good players who play two way games, signing these long eight year deals that's going to keep them in a spot and secure them for a while. I think the flat cap era certainly has something to do with that, don't you, Doug? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think these guys want term and guaranteed i mean you look at brandon tanov he signed what was it, a six or seven year deal last year with the penguins yeah three million per it was it was an unusual one but it, it kind of makes sense yeah and i mean i'd love to have brandon tanov in the canucks lineup i think he's a hell of a bottom bottom six player uh for any team in the league no more uh, bot- no sense. more bottom six i'm sick of bottom six <laughs> <laughs> fair enough fair enough but no I, I think it's a good deal uh i mean the nuge deal i like nuge i think he's a guy that he still kind of gets stigmaed a bit for being first overall and, you know, that whole thing that a first overall pick should always be like a game changer. Um, that's not always the case. He's still a hell of a player. I think he's a really underrated player. Obviously, a lot of the spotlight gets shined on McDavid and Dreisaitl. 
but yeah, I really like Nuge and Joel er- Erickson Eck, man, he really stepped into his own this last year and a half, two years. He really became that player that I think a lot of Minnesota fans were hoping he would be. I know there's a lot of wild fans that are still bitter that they drafted Erickson Eck over a local kid, Brock Besser. But yeah, good for Erickson Eck, man. I think it's a good deal, and I think it'll be a good deal uh, in the next three, four years for Minnesota. I think it's going to look at uh, looked upon as a value contract in the league in the next three, four years. I really do. Yeah, as both deals age, the salary cap should go up, so it'll eat up less of the overall cap space. Uh, I'm with you on Nuge. I've always got a, a bit of a soft spot for local products as well. Um, neither one of these contracts will be great. Uh, towards the end but with the cap increasing it shouldn't hurt the teams as much Nuge also got a full no movement in there so he's got that security he's not going anywhere so Edmonton is on the hook for it but yeah I think both players are very good and oh an early England goal look at that us I've I've got the euros on over here but fantastic both games today goal in the first five minutes uh yes anyways um sorry for the distraction there but yes I think both deals good businesses for both teams and if the contracts don't age well, it's not going to hurt them quite as much. Um, one thing, uh, an interesting organization right now uh, for plenty of good reasons and bad reasons right now, the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, let's start with the bad, uh, with the the sexual assault investigation um, coming out in Chicago. Do you think the Blackhawks are handling this situation well and the league is handling this well so far? I don't like it's hard to say the legal parameters of everything but it it doesn't look like the organization handled the situation well at all and I don't think the league is doing enough at least publicly to let fans and other people in the league players in the league feel like they're protecting them when with something like this that happened the fact that the video coach was let go by the team and then they still gave him a reference for another job where he then went on to assault somebody else. Just, I mean, to me, their heads need to roll. They really do. Like, you just, how can you let that happen? You know what I mean? And there were reports that every player on the team knew heading into that Stanley Cup final that there was an assault or an attempted assault. Uh, that happened with this with this person and with these two players, it just it just blows my mind. It, 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 and it's that classic example, unfortunately, of the sports mentality of we don't want any distractions. Let's sweep this under the rug, push the person out the door, and make it someone else's problem. And I mean, there are so many issues with that on a legal level, on a moral level, and yeah, I really do think that. There needs to be some major changes in the Blackhawks front office. And I would like Bettman and the league to be a little bit more hard in their stance with this as opposed to the whole legal jargon that Bettman always spews. I mean, love him or hate him, Bettman is just like the epitome of a lawyer and that lawyer speak. And it's just, it's so painful, dude. Like, yeah, obviously this is a big deal explain how this is a big deal and how you as the league feel like you have let your players down like your players don't feel safe and supported by the team or the league or the goddamn union they pay to protect them like what the fuck man yeah i agree with all that i think um 
first off, with Batman and being a lawyer, that's exactly what he is. And love him or hate him, he has done more for the game of hockey than I think a lot of people will give credit for. I, I, ha- I have loathing and admiration for the guy. But the NHL doesn't have a very diverse public face. It's old white guys. And that doesn't go well with, with this. Uh, the, the fact that players knew and in the, everything was brought forward to the Blackhawks, and that was 11 years ago, and it's only just coming out now, does not look well in the Blackhawks. And yes, heads need to roll, and they really need to, not just there, but look across the league to make sure that there are better systems in place. And uh, what happened in Chicago with the reference as well is just mind-blowing. And yeah, this this needs to be all made public. This can't be like, oh, we've conducted our investigation into the Blackhawks, and we're keeping this internal. It can't be something like that. This needs to be out public. The fans need to know, and they, the NHL needs to put on a proper face with this and be like, hey, yeah, we... This is this is bad. This looks bad in our team, and we're going to fix this so this doesn't happen again. Yeah, and you know, unfortunately, like this sort of thing is a lot more prevalent in sports than I think we think. And I think a lot of people generally think like, oh, like if this is going to happen, it's only going to happen in junior hockey. Uh, obviously, you know, you look at what happened with uh, Theron Fleury. Uh, I'm also this also you know there was the Jerry Sandusky thing in Penn State. Um, but this has been an issue in hockey and in sports and for for years and years and years. And again, it's that classic example of no one really wanting to deal with this head on and trying to actually identify who these predators are and make sure that their names are out there and they're blacklisted from ever being able to be in the sport again, around young children again. And, you know, hopefully criminal charges are laid upon these guys. Yeah, better resources, better protection, not creating a grooming culture, uh, which, you know, the U.S. Olympic team, the gymnastics team, that was another perfect example of that. Um, There's a lot of things, but uh, it it does come back, uh, you know, a lot of it to this old way of thinking and uh, a lot of the old white boys clubs. And the world has changed a lot and people need to feel safe and protected at any point. But we're at a point now where... These things just cannot happen and cannot resurface 11 years later. I mean, no, they can. I shouldn't say that. But they should They should be addressed more immediately is, is what I'm saying. It, they, 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 this kind of culture of, of putting things under the rug, like you said, um, that, that needs to go. Um, we could spend a whole episode on this, but we are running out of time and we have a few more quick hits. Um, also staying with the, the Blackhawks, Duncan Keith to the Oilers. Do you think that's fact or fiction? I think it's fact. I, I, I could definitely see uh, it happening. Uh, I don't know what a deal would look like. Uh, I think there's a good chance that Tyson Berry will not be returning to the Oilers as he is a UFA, and they're going to need to fill that defenseman. Keith is definitely not what he used to be, but I also think Keith has been playing well over 20 minutes a game for the Blackhawks for the last four or five years, and he's not that player anymore. I do wonder what Keith in a limited minutes role would look like. And I do think he could still be somewhat productive. He does make a lot of money, but it's a short-term two-year deal. And if you can get an asset back from the Chicago Blackhawks for you know getting them out of that deal for the next two years, it would be something I would look at if I'm the Oilers. I don't think it's something the Canucks would look at. I don't think it makes sense from a Canucks point of view. There's also talk that the Canucks aren't interested in this deal and didn't really know Keith was on the trading block anyways. But uh, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on it what about you yeah the Keith to Vancouver doesn't make sense um Calgary and Seattle are the other names that you've heard out there um I think you know Keith 
five and a half isn't that bad for two more years. But if you can work out a deal where Chicago retains half and you get another asset, that's a good deal. I mean, Keith is 37, lefty, not the not the same as what he was. Um, I think Edmonton or maybe Seattle. I don't think Calgary uh, is a good fit, actually, myself. But um, I, I do think he gets moved just from what we're hearing out of reports uh, and how he wants to be back out this way. Uh, my money right now is Edmonton salary retained and another asset going to Edmonton as well, or maybe some salary that Edmonton doesn't want going back. Tyson Berry led the league in, in defenseman scoring this year, uh, which is, which is amazing. And, uh, but that's going to re- require a, a higher cap hit. It's going to be tough for the Oilers to bring him back. I'm sure they would like to. So it'll be interesting to see if they go into the Duncan Keith thing is like, Hey, we're not going to bring Tyson Berry back. So um, we need uh, a body for the next couple of years. Um, the good news out of Chicago, uh, a player, player that I think most Canadian fans love, Jonathan Taves. I know he's a Blackhawk and he's a Canuck killer, but I quite like Jonathan Taves. He's, uh, I think he's a, a, a great face for hockey. He's done a lot of good things out there. Uh, finally coming out uh, with what was the issue with him. It sounds like he's doing a lot better. It sounds like we're going to get to see him again. Um, so I, I, you know, for me, I'm, I'm, it's great news to hear. One of my really good friends is a Blackhawks fan uh, as well. We were talking about it. I mean, it sounds like the Blackhawks community is being really supportive and, and obviously and can't wait to get him back. Uh, just quickly, some thoughts on the, the Jonathan Tave story. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to hear that uh, he's on the road to recovery and that he should be back uh, near hundred percent heading into next year. Uh, I like Taze too. I know, like you said, he's been a Canuck killer over the years, but you know, he's been one of the most consistent players for Team Canada when he had opportunities to play for Team Canada. I still remember the World Juniors, <laughs> wasn't it? Him I was and Jack Johnson. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. The uh, I mean, that was everyone's first taste of him, and he hadn't even played an NHL yeah. game yet. Yeah, and you know, he what was it? He scored like four penalties because I think in the in juniors, anyways, the World Junior Tournament after five different players take a shootout goal you can just keep using the same player over and over and over again and it was him and jack johnson which is pretty crazy jack johnson american defenseman they were going back and forth with the shootout goals and taze just kept scoring and eventually won it for team canada and yeah captain Sirius is his nickname uh it's nice to see that, like I said, he's healthy again and he finally knows what was going on and hopefully he can be back to 100% for the Chicago Blackhawks next year. Yeah, for sure. I, I wish him all the best. It's great to see. Um, so, yeah, hopefully we get to see Taves back on the ice. Um, lastly, Doug, before we go into the free pour, uh, just kind of uh, this envelops the hockey world, but much more so, I would say, the the college basketball and football worlds. Uh, the NCAA finally changing its restrictions after all these court battles. I mean, the year is 2021, and you're now finally allowing players to make money off of their brand names uh, in, in in universities uh, across the states, which for me, this is long overdue. Uh, you, the NCAA is a huge business, which th- their numbers rival and pass professional sports leagues yet they don't have to pay anyone besides their coaching staff and then if players accept so much as a sandwich they can get kicked off the team uh this is long overdue in my opinion i can't believe it's taken this long i mean i we, i think you know the the fab five team in michigan is one of the first things that comes to mind with this uh, reggie bush is another story that, that you know comes to mind there's just been years and years i mean can you imagine even what, what zion would have made a couple of years ago if he was allowed to endorse himself uh, i mean, 
being the best player in basketball. Uh, this is going to change a lot of college kids' lives. Um, hopefully for the better. There's certainly risks that come with giving uh, these kids a whole bunch of money and fame. Well, they already have the fame, but now at least you're getting paid for it as well. Um, what do you think, Doug? Is there any downsides to the NCAA finally doing this, or just what are your what are your opinions on the matter? I think it's great. I mean, I, I think these college players are finally getting to make money on their name that the college has been, the, these colleges have been making bank for years. We're talking like billion dollar industry here, yeah. billion dollar industry. And for these players to finally be able, like you said, I mean, some of these players lose their elig- eligibility because someone bought them a sandwich or bought them lunch because a lot of, that's the other thing that doesn't get reported enough. Is sure a lot of a lot of these kids are on athletic scholarships, but they have like they're barely scraping by financially. You know what I mean? They're they're hungry. They're they're having this. You know, have their mom. There was a college player. Yeah, there was a college player I saw the other day put out a funny tweet talking about how he felt betrayed that his mom, now that he's been finally drafted to the NFL, his mom decided yeah. that she's no longer going to be paying his cell phone bill, right? I saw that But too. that is a real thing. That is a real thing. You look at the Last Dance documentary, and the part where Jordan's talking about being in college, and he would be writing his mom letters saying, hey, I need 20 bucks. Yeah. A lot of these kids, they're literally starving. You know what I mean? And yeah, I mean, for the colleges to make, you know, money hand over fist on the back of these kids names it's about time that these kids finally have the opportunity to be able to kind of cash in and at least you know make ends meet like i don't think you know unless they're the elite of the elite college players i don't think you're going to be seeing these kids you know making multi-million dollar endorsement deals but that's fine man like being able to just accept gifts from a potential agent or family members you know even that is a big thing. Local endorsements, I think, will be a really big thing because you know these like yeah. these college towns. So I have family that work at a Cornell in Ithaca, New York, and like anyone, if you're a star athlete in Cornell, the whole t- town knows in Ithaca who you are, and that's the same with a lot of these uh, towns across the states. I had a friend who worked in Baton Rouge with the LSU Tigers, and she was going to school down there. And same thing, like I mean, that's a huge school, right? Uh, same thing, but uh, I mean, uh, another one you mentioned, the Last Dance, and I know I already mentioned the Fab Five, but it's if you haven't seen that one uh, out there in the original Thirty for Thirty series that ESPN did, that one alone will will sway anyone's judgment to how this is a good thing i mean the the schools are just just milking these athletes uh out of everything and and they're sleeping in cars they're eating kd they 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 can't do anything so i'm really glad this has finally changed and uh it'll be interesting to see what this does moving forward hopefully these athletes can get some financial advisors at a young age and learn the value of money as well before going on to pro sports and especially in basketball too, because only they, such a small handful of guys get drafted. So it'll be it'd be good for some of these guys, too. Yeah, and a lot of them they're only one one year and done, right? I actually think this probably affects more of the football players because the football players have to stay in college longer, and so you know a lot of these kids could make the jump to the NFL after one year, but they can't, and so they're forced to stay in college and still just you know scrap by yeah and we know how short the nfl career is as well and that's a much more violent league than than basketball um doug lots to go over and uh i need to get to this england game so let's take this into the free pour let's do it all right it's time for the free pour open floor and 
this might be a little bit of deja vu to some of the listeners out there, but uh, I'm going to talk about the NBA playoffs again and just how great they've been despite some of the big injuries. Uh, Obviously, we saw Giannis get injured a couple of games ago for the Milwaukee Bucks. Thankfully, there's no structural damage. It's just a severe sprain. There's talk and speculation that if there is a Game 7, he could be available to the Bucks for that deciding Game 7. And congratulations to the Phoenix Suns. Uh, they took out the LA Clippers, have made it to their first final since Charles Barkley took the Suns to the final and Kevin Johnson back in 93. Um, so congratulations to the Suns. I do think the Phoenix Suns are probably going to win the NBA championship this year. They just seem to have the most, yeah, they seem to have the most depth and the most dynamic team heading into these playoffs. And uh, I think it's their championship to lose. How big a story is injuries being this NBA playoffs? Yeah, I mean, Kawhi Leonard, uh, what's his name, Uh, Unibrow, Anthony Davis wasn't at 100% for the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, it it happens every year, right? The the problem with the NBA is one or two players make such an impact on the team, but if that one or two players get injured, I mean, it can be absolutely devastating for the team. Yeah, the top-heavy building not having a deep bench uh, certainly hurts some of those teams when you, you take out some of their stars. I mean, you know, you've seen almost everyone miss miss games, it seems, uh, for in the NBA, all the superstars. Um, I'm also sticking on the sports train for uh, for my free pour, and I wanted to talk about the Euro Cup. As you know, England is playing Ukraine right now. Uh, it's still 1-0 England. Uh, but, man, it has been just incredible to watch. Denmark got through today to the Final Four, which I think is everyone's second favorite team right now with what's happened to them uh that knockout day with croatia spain and france switzerland i was coming back from victoria that that day was also so nice to go back to victoria but man both those games uh as well uh it's it's been a fantastic tournament and we're shaping up here we got italy spain and we got denmark hopefully England. I mean, I don't want to jinx it, although who knows? We probably just did knowing England. But man, it's it's going to be a great final few days. There's, after this, there's only three games left. Uh, I know the Copa is going on as well in South America. But man, being a great tournament. England's still around. England still haven't allowed a goal. Uh, I'm still pulling for them. But uh, man, that Italy Spain game. Uh, going to call it now. I think Italy's going to knock out Spain, and then I think whoever wins this game is going to be in tough against Denmark. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 80, just about in the books. And, we, you know, just to complete all the sports, uh, I also wanted to shout out the Toronto Blue Jays. Having three starters in the All-Star game, and amazingly, one of them isn't Bo Bichette, but uh, Vladdy, of course, which to nobody's surprise, and uh, Simeon and Teoscar getting in as well as starters. And how about Shohei Otani? Like, man... I, I cannot get over what this guy is doing. If this guy was in a 90s video game, he would be like the Bo Jackson of Tech Mobile. Yeah, I mean, not since... And I hate to... you know, Well, I shouldn't say hate it. I mean, everyone's comparing him to it. But not since Babe Ruth. Have we seen a guy play both sides of the field in baseball like Otani has? Where he is arguably one of the elite pitchers in the game and he's definitely one of the elite sluggers in the game it just it's such a rare feat and you've really only seen it one other time and that was Babe Ruth and he's he's voted to the starters as well as a DH 
uh, a pitcher DH. It's, it's just breaking everything that my uh, when I was playing baseball stars and Ken Griffey baseball uh, as a kid growing up. It, it breaks all the rules of, of having that pitcher in the nine spot that you DH uh, when, when you need to. But anyways, congrats to the Jays and, and Shohei. Um, I think uh, the Jays have been a lot of fun this year to watch, so I, I've been enjoying that. Uh, Doug, no guest this week, uh, just because holidays and everything else, and we were a little slack with things. I think I blame the heat. But uh, certainly lots to talk about in the world of sports. Um, the, the Canuck talk is certainly going to ramp up as we get closer to the Seattle draft, the NHL draft, and free agency. Yeah, I mean, we're already, what is it, July 3rd? We're two weeks away, I believe, from the expansion draft, three weeks away from the actual draft. Like, things are going to, the news is going to come fast, uh, really quick here, and you're going to see moves being made. I mean, we're already seeing moves being made, and I think the Canucks, according to Jim Benning, you know, they want to be aggressive. They want to improve this team heading into next year, and I think they're going to hopefully look at every avenue on how they can improve this team. Yeah, and I think uh, we'll, we'll get more into a lot of the, the, the Canucks talk in the next few episodes and what they should do. And we, I know the last few weeks we've kind of been looking forward and what, what uh, teams, the team should be doing. Um, there's just a lot going on in sports this week. So I, I know it wasn't a lot of Canucks talk in there, but there's certainly a lot of sports talk. So hopefully you folks out there enjoyed that. Uh, you can also follow us online. I'm at Pete underscore Gas on Twitter. And the podcast has a playlist that uh, Doug has alluded to earlier that he's going to be pissing off some people maybe with uh, this outro track. That's uh, on Spotify, the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. Give that a listen. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Canucks Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.